0: Hey, you, yeah, you, the one listening to this podcast right now, I'm guessing you tune into Docs Outside the Box because taking control of your career is really important to you. Now, our sponsor, Provider Solutions and Development, they have a team of experts that are ready to guide Docs just like you through today's job landscape. They've also got exclusive access to hundreds of positions nationwide. So whether you're looking to dive deeper into your specialty work or, let's keep it real, you're trying to find a healthier work-life balance, it's important to start the conversation with them right now. Contact them at info.psdconnect.org forward slash Docs Outside the Box. What's good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Docs Outside the Box. I am joined by Mr. James Dockery, who is a proud HBCU graduate, graduated from North Carolina Central University in 1980, um, and then went on to get his law degree, JD, from the UNC School of Law in 1983, and also has a master's in law in privacy as well as cybersecurity, has been spending over 23 years as a judge advocate in the US Air Force and is now considered basically a labor and employment expert with a great understanding of employment contracts as well as uh, independent contractors. Extensive trial experience, having tried over 100 jury trials. I didn't know that about you, James. I did not know that you were a trial trial lawyer. And um, for the sake of this conversation, everyone, um, he has been working in the medical community, working with physicians, nurses, as well as physician assistants since 1997. Without further ado, I welcome... James Dockery. James, welcome to Docs Outside the Box. How are you doing?
1: Hey, nee man. I could not be any better. I am feeling fantastic. I listened to the show, and when you said that uh, I'd have an opportunity to come on, I said, When you know, just let me know. So very, very excited to uh, to join you uh, and to join your audience as well to share some insight and perspectives of uh, of an attorney with eh, over uh, over forty some odd years of total experience. And so excited.
0: Well, I also left out that you used to be a bag. Boy, for Walmart, right? That's what you used to do for Walmart. What was <laughs> that what was, that was my
1: aspirational goal,
0: uh, actually. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> What's that one little thing that you used to do for Walmart, which I think puts the cherry on top
1: of all of the things that I already described for you? Yeah, I was associate general counsel at Walmart. Uh, it had a, it's a great company, great opportunity there, particularly when you're representing, you know, a company with over two million employees. Uh, it, it, was, it was an incredible experience that really prepared me to do uh, a number of other things post that experience at Walmart.
0: So basically, you know your stuff. <laughs> I do. <laughs> you know, you know the law. You know employment. Uh, you know independent contracting. And the reason why I have you on this show is, and real quick, real quick disclaimer, everyone. Uh, me and James have been working together for close to ten years now. Um, we initially started working together. At least you started working with Renee through the Student National Medical Association. Right. You were actually an attorney on retention on retainer. Excuse me. Correct. I that believe. And um Renee has always been really instrumental with SNMA. I have been too, but really Renee has been instrumental with taking that student organization to another level. And then the next step in our relationship was you negotiated our first contracts um, when we were employed back in 2014 to 2017. And then me and Renee got this itch. <laughs> with going locums and you helped us craft contracts and helped us negotiate certain rates and i think you can see us going from i know there was some painful times when you saw how much we were asking to get paid (laughs) and i'm sure you're like why are these guys asking for so low um to where we are at right now and i know it's been a a long process Um, but you've been with us the entire process
1: the entire way for over 10 years. And which which is which is what I love because we we built this relationship from the ground up and we continue to have this relationship. So not only do we work together from a uh, from an attorney client relationship, but we're also friends. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. from that perspective, you know, and there are times when. When I pick up the phone and call Ren- Renee, I have this issue I'd like to talk to you about, or I call nee, or you and say, hey, I'd like to talk to you about something. And, and so from that perspective, we built this relationship. But that's also what I like about all of my physician clients as well is that, that I tell them from the very beginning, this isn't a one and done. We're, we're in this relationship for the long haul. And so from that perspective, my plan is to work very hard for them and, and, and that we have a long-term goal uh, that can be shifted, can be changed. But at the end of the day, we're working collaboratively to, uh, to help the client achieve their long-term, their short-term, as well as their long-term objectives. And you've also seen us grow
0: into… Podcasting and social media—you've given us advice in that. So um, this relationship spans a lot of different arenas, and I think more and more doctors—that's going to happen to them. Where you know, not only are they going to be um, you know having to negotiate for what they do clinically, uh, but maybe their expertise and what they do in media, uh, what they do entrepreneurially. There's going to be just multiple facets of this. So obviously, I think we kind of let the cat out the bag as to what we're going to be talking about on this show, right? Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> Go ahead. ahead, Which is great because, you know, at, at the end of the day, you you know, you you know, as people say, you need a great physician always with you to be able to pick up the phone and call your physician and be able to have that relationship. You also need to have that same kind of relationship with your attorney as well. You know, that that your attorney should be someone that that is responsive, somebody that you can pick up the phone. And even with with uh, interesting and unique ideas to say, hmm, we're going to go from surgery to doing podcast. Uh, let's talk about that. Okay. Let's, let's talk about that. And, and let's understand. But my role is to help facilitate your goals and, and your objectives.
0: All right. Well, let's start off like, um, you know, residents or when you finish medical school and you go and become a resident, usually your first year second year even all the way to when you finish there's really never a chance where you sign a contract it's just kind of understood that you know your relationship with a hospital your relationship with a residency program just renews right and then you go into fellowship you apply and then you get in and you may do an additional one to two years so the first time that a medical student a resident um, a doctor may see like a contract maybe right when they finish they're training and they're looking for their first job, why do they need a lawyer? Why do you recommend that they
1: have a lawyer to look at this contract? They didn't need one before. Why do you think they need one now? Well, think about it this way. So this, this brand new contract, either with a hospital or with a clinical group or some other facility, that document that they just presented to you has been prepared by a team of lawyers. Uh, and those mm. lawyers have a particular client, that client being either the hospital or that that particular practice group. And so from that perspective, are you ready, willing, and able to accept each and every word within that contract that was prepared by your future employer's lawyer? That be- because quite frankly, that, that in and of itself means that you're already at a disadvantage when you're doing that because their interest is not purely your interest. Their interest is in their client's interest. So you need someone on the other side to balance that out, to make certain that that whatever is written in that contract, the terms and conditions within that contract, you are comfortable with. You've had an opportunity to have a lawyer to have eyes on the agreement so that at the end of the day, you're protected your long-term as well as your short-term goals are protected within that agreement.
0: Here's a tip when looking for your next job. Understand your strengths and weaknesses. For example, if you've been practicing for a while and you know you have a problem with closing charts, then it's important that you find a place that's gonna help you have administrative help, right? So there are plenty of options when it comes to your career in medicine. But just like every patient is different, every physician has their own personal definition of success. And that's where our sponsor steps in. Provider Solutions and Development doesn't bring just one answer for all. They are recruitment experts focusing on who you are before helping you find what you're meant to be. So whatever you're ready for next, they'll help you find it with no quotas, no commissions to get in the way. So, Even if you're looking for a more collegial feel at work or just, heck, a more healthier work-life balance, they can help find the right fit for you. So reach out today at info.psdconnect.org forward slash docs outside the box. So I think a lot of docs, they don't think that that's negotiable or they don't think that that contract that they get, like there's like space in there. I think they just think, here's the contract, sign it, and that's it. So the ability to negotiate or the ability to say, I don't like this or
1: this is good, that's commonplace, right? That is very much commonplace. And and you, you know that as well. And so from that perspective, I've always gone in and represented clients with the position that everything is negotiable. Mm-hmm. That you have an opportunity to really begin to think about what, what do you want, what is important for you within that particular contract? Is it the compensation? Are you comfortable with the compensation? Are you comfortable with the the time off? One of the instances, in one instance, we were able to negotiate for uh, for a client uh, repayment of student loans within that contract had never been thought of before. Or, but we but we made the push and and justified it appropriately with the client, with the uh with the company, with the hospital at the time, was that it made sense for them to invest long term in this particular physician to pay off their student loan debt. Uh that created great relationship between the the physician as well as the hospital itself. So everything can can in fact be negotiated. And so, but there are also certain terms in, in which uh, there are things in which you, you can't negotiate, but, but by you go into these agreements with the, with the mindset that everything is negotiable.
0: And also that you have age, you have just as much agency as the hospital. Like you're an entity that has something to uh, lose, so to speak as well as the hospital has something to protect also. And I think I had a hard time thinking that, believing that at first. I was like, oh, I thought that, I didn't look at us as equal and separate parties. It almost felt like I was coming to the table, they were bringing me the menu, and it was really just my job to decide if I was going to eat or not. Whereas I think more people should look at it as, well, you know, I, I don't really like the broccoli. Can you give me something else? Um, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, I like <laughs> Great this, analogy. You
1: know, right? <laughs> great, great analogy, because you have value. You know, each physician, nurse, medical assistant, uh, physician assistant, you have value, you have skills that you bring to the table that they really, really want. And so from that perspective, understand your value uh, to the organization and also understand that because you have value, you also have the ability to negotiate. You have the ability to 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 your point to say mm, I don't I'm not particularly thrilled with the broccoli, uh, but I can take asparagus instead, so to speak. Right. Yeah.
0: All right. So asparagus is one of my favorite things, so you know.
1: Uh, oh, okay. I, I'm cool. Cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> You're cool so, with that. So
0: what what is contract review? Because I think that's another thing that people are just like, well, like, what does this mean? Contract review, contract negotiations. That's one and the same thing, right? Like, uh, explain that to me. What
1: does that mean? Okay. And so, for instance, a contract review is you you have this document in, in fact most physician contracts are between 16 and 20 pages long uh, and you have some incredible legal terms in there force majeure you that's have all, that's legalese right all that legalese is like right. okay now if you went to medical school and law school you you may get it okay right. and then then there's always this and I'll get to your point there's always this uh, this desire to say, oh, I have a cousin who's a lawyer and my cousin <laughs> my, cousin my, T. My, cousin, I gotcha. cousin Jumba, cousin Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, they, my cousin who is a lawyer, he's going to review my contract in that regard. Yes, your cousin who's a lawyer could probably review the contract, but there are unique nuances with regards to employment agreement. And so from that perspective, one of the things that I will do with each of my clients, I will walk them through each sentence of that agreement, you know, from the very beginning. And keep in mind, this is between 16 and 20 pages long. And so walk them first through the agreement and say, let's talk about this. Let's identify what is your sweet spot? What 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 drives you? What motivates you? What is, what is important to you? Those are the kinds of questions that need to be asked very early on. And then when we get those answers, then we can walk through the contract very specifically. Then we identify what are those areas that mm, I have some concerns with. And so from that perspective, one of the key components with regards to negotiating a contract, first of all, you want to read the contract and be very specific as to, as to your interests, one. And then two, negotiating the contract is rather different because now you are looking at, at, at as a physician, spending time talking to administrators, possibly lawyers, uh, and others to determine... To to convey what you are really interested in and what you really want to do, that's that requires an additional set of skills because at that <laughs> point in time it can be it can become really very emotional. You know, oh, you're yeah. thinking, wait a, wait a second, I believe I should have an extra one hundred thousand dollars, or or that my I'm doing my all the operations. Is, I'm yeah. taking
0: out the appendixes at two o'clock in the morning. You going home at at five in the afternoon. Right, you're gonna get personal exactly. about it. You're gonna get exactly. Yeah.
1: And, and mm-hmm. so from that point of view, it's like, why the, hell the heck are you not? Why don't you see this? A lawyer, on the opposite hand, can, can can convey that very same message without losing the relationship as well, because you can always, you know, when the administrator comes to back to the physician to say, you know, you know, you're driving some really hard bargains. This lawyer seems to be very unreasonable. You know, you can say, well, you know, that's my lawyer. That's that guy, you know, continue to work with him. And, you know, he's giving me advice. You maintain the relationship at that point point in time. Let me and let the attorney be the bad guy, you know, in that regard. And ultimately, you know, ultimately, you know, know, in more times than not, The parties can come together and recognize that there is value in bringing on this physician because of your skill, talent, expertise, uh, and that the physician is also very much interested in working at this particular facility. Now, also, physicians need to be prepared to be able to walk away as Mm -hmm. well. Okay. Be prepared to walk away because that whole meal might just not work very well. Might not, it might not be ad, ad, appetizing. Uh, and so from that perspective, your value is in your ability to, or your attorney's ability to be able to negotiate effectively, but also have, understand your value to the point where you can just simply walk away. How long does all of this take? Like, how long does
0: like a contract to get reviewed? How long does that usually take on average?
1: You know, on average, I've been able to close the deal from beginning to end uh, within a matter of several weeks. But it can take uh, at least a month, maybe possibly two. But here's the here's the biggest concern with regards to that. If you're in uh, on the verge of renewing a contract. You, know, you have to be particularly careful because the contract terms will specifically come to an end at a specific point. Now, I've, I, I have one particular point I want to raise. So, so for instance, uh, contract renewals. I've reviewed a contract for a physician in which this language was used. This contract will automatically renew at the same terms and conditions Unless physician negotiates additional terms within ninety days of the termination date, assume you, as the I physician is busy, you're doing surgery, you're doing a number of things, you simply forget, you know, three years earlier that you, now you have this agreement within that ninety-day period period of time. If you do not renegotiate, then you have effectively signed another contract under the same terms and conditions that you had three years prior to that. You have to be very careful. You have to be Mm -hmm. able to negotiate that within that period of time. Otherwise, you Mm -hmm. lose the ability to increase your compensation. You lose the ability to do any number of things, increase uh, your bonus structure, et cetera. So it becomes very, very important that as you're negotiating or as your attorney is negotiating to be mindful of clauses such as that. One of the things that's important is is that all too often the devil is in the details. So you mm-hmm. have to be very, very mindful of, of, uh, of making certain that you're protecting all of your interests.
0: Now, is there a difference between getting your contract reviewed and then doing contract negotiations? Because I've seen that on certain websites for lawyers where they'll have, well, this is how much contract review costs. And then this is what the negotiations will Cost also. So, explain to us how that works, and what's the difference?
1: Certainly, certainly, the review process is fairly straightforward. You're spending the time with the physician client, uh, or the or the uh, uh, with the physician client. in, in my particular case, uh, and and you're you are working through the terms and conditions of the contract. Once you provide that information to the uh, to the client. That's the end of the uh, that's the end effectively of that relationship for that particular period of time then the client presents their basically establishes their own case to their employer or to the or to the facility on the other hand where the attorney actually negotiates the work that means more time more effort, uh, it is more time working with either the lawyers or the hospital administrator. So from that perspective, it expands the amount of time in which the attorney is working on behalf of the uh, of the client. So it is more time, more effort, uh, greater negotiating, negotiating opportunities that just simply takes more time. So time is really the key component there.
0: And I just I would tell everyone from my opinion, I tend to be a little bit emotional about these things. And I think I I think as a lawyer, you know that there's a difference between equating self-worth with what a salary is. And I think I'm not prepared for that, right? Like I don't know how to separate that. So when they offer me a certain amount and it's not what I really want. It's going to be hard for me to just be like, all right, let's take a chill pill. This is what they normally do. They possibly may offer something that is lower. They may offer something that is not what you would normally expect. But the key things, and I'm sure there's certain levels of engagement or activities of engagement that you know that you can walk into and you can take and tools that you can use. Whereas me as a physician, I don't have that. And I think, you know, one of them being like, you know, the person who talks to first or the person who says something first or, um, I mean, obviously, I'm sure one of them is trying not to be emotional about things. Um, You know, and the reason I say that is because I tend to just say, look, uh, James, can you do not only the review, but can you also do the negotiations? Because I think, you know, from my temperament and doing things in between cases or with how busy I am, I just don't think I don't think I'll be speaking from an area of strength.
1: And one of the key Components to that knee uh, is what is uh, being able to identify your sweet spot, you know, and so yeah. identify yeah, the sweet spot me a couple of times. and, and yeah. say, okay, let's negotiate at a higher level, you know, because again, this is about negotiating where the the facility will have one perspective, uh, you have a perspective in terms of what actually works for you the client in this particular case. And then let's have something that is not outrageous but something but a but terms and conditions that is difficult to say no to and then you can negotiate down to your sweet spot.
0: See that scares people. I think that scares a lot of doctors because they're not used to negotiating. So it's really interesting to get your perspective. So let's say for example like you say your sweet spot is I'm going to make a number up $50 an hour. Right, you're saying that you should go a little bit higher knowing that there may be some space to come down exactly to your sweet spot. Is that what you're saying? Exactly.
1: Exactly. Because you go a little higher the, and and the, it's, again, it's about negotiating where the hospital will need to either come up to meet you at a certain point. And then it's it is that give and take. It is my relationship with you, the client. Uh, but then also it is Being able to set, again, keep in mind, I've tried over 100 cases. So it's a matter of negotiating while selling as well, because I I want to be able to put you in a position to where I can say, uh, Dr. X has these skills, qualities, and abilities uh, and deserves this amount of compensation or, or whatever we're negotiating at. And as a result of that, you need to pay him or her this requisite amount of money, either for locums or for base salary, or if it is a, a, an independent contractor, what does that actually look like? But it's a matter of negotiating. It is utilizing those trial advocacy skills that, that would convince a jury to do exactly what I want them to do, what mm. we would want them to do.
0: Mm. Okay, I'm going to pause for a second because I'll, I want to bring in this next topic and I want to set the stage. So how much does this cost? Let's talk, let's talk money. How much how much does it cost to do this on average?
1: No, I'm going to give you the best lawyer answer possible. <laughs> it depends, I bet you it depends. <laughs> <laughs> You've been around me way too long, mm-hmm. Nick. Come on mm-hmm. now. So it, it depends. Yeah, and there are a lot of factors that will go into it. It it will go into years of experience. Um Uh, Both from the attorney as well as from the physician, Uh, it goes into the difficulty of the contract, uh, the complexity of the contract, the length of time that it will take the review. There are so many different factors. All too often, most attorneys will charge either a flat fee or an hourly rate. Uh, Hourly rates can range from you know three hundred dollars an hour up to. Yeah, you know, seven, eight hundred dollars an hour, depending upon you know that that particular attorney's um, uh, value of of their time, because this is you know a, an attorney's stock and trade is their time for the most part. Mm-hmm. I like using a flat fee approach in large measure because uh, because then I'm not looking at the clock, nor is the client looking at the clock. So we're not right. rushing through it. We're not saying, oh, there are four hours. We've spent four. Four hours on this document already and now i'm i'm at you know roughly a thousand dollars as an example just using it as, a, as an example but the flat fee allows us to avoid this watching the clock uh and 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 it gives you me a sense and the client a sense that we're both vested in this matter let's sort now of I work can, together to make it the I, best way i
0: can tell you right now there's people listening who are like good lord
1: three hundred dollars an hour <laughs> Right. Oh, so cheap, they've That's cheap,
0: brother. <laughs> they've been, they've, okay. So they've been paying since they've been paying for med school and they've been paying student loans or whatever it may be, you know, in residency. Convince them as to why they should pay these fees. Why should they pay for a lawyer um, to help them negotiate something? I, I have my answer. I know why I want to do it. So I'll, I'll let you give your answer. But I, I'm really interested to see how you convince uh, a resident or even a young attending to get a lawyer.
1: You know the uh, the fact that it goes back to something I said very early on. If you think about it for a second, your employer has invested thousands of dollars in hiring their own lawyer to negotiate and represent them. Don't aren't you that valuable? Think about it for a second. You spent four years in college, four years in med school, residency. Uh, you have much more training and education than any professional athlete, and almost every professional athlete have someone negotiating the deal for for them. You are much more valuable uh, in society in general than any <laughs> professional athlete will ever be. Because so I say outside of,
0: outside of telling outside of telling someone to take out their own appendix, you know, like that's <laughs> like as a doctor, you wouldn't tell someone to take out their own appendix. You'd be like, no, nah, exactly. you need to come to an expert and stuff." So,
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly, and, and so. Use an expert. Use an expert, and and in actuality, the cost is minimal compared to the benefits, uh, the long term benefits. Because again, you're looking at opportunities to negotiate a deal on behalf of a physician that he or she may not know is really fully negotiable. Uh, as I mentioned early on, we've negotiated, uh, you know, bonus structures. We've negotiated additional compensation. Uh, Uh, We've negotiated repayment of student loans, all the kinds of things that are outside of the original contract. Uh, And and so here's another major component to that. One of the things that you really want to make be very cautious of uh, is is the. Various termination clauses within the contract. Mm, are you yeah. terminate it for cause? Let's get into that. Are you, yeah. you terminate it not for cause? Under those circumstances, and that's then, that legally stuff that'll have people that don't legalese understand. That's that legally stuff. Yeah, for cause. And here's the other major component to that: non-compete agreements. Non-compete. Uh, you know, at the end of the contract, are you able to actually work in the same city, in the same region, in the same neighborhood uh, as you did when you were with a particular company? Or with a particular organization hospital or clinic or practice group what, what's
0: the rationale different. behind a non-compete T- let's, since you jumped into that let's let's segue yeah. right into that why why would a hospital tell you that you can't compete with them like what's the rationale behind that
1: it is it is it's that word compete and so yeah. from that perspective these are businesses you know and so uh, you know not only just a hospital but even a practice group for instance so let's assume you're a member of an OBGYn practice group uh, and let's use Dallas as an example you're a member of an OBGYN practice group in Dallas and uh, that and you want to uh, to start your own practice uh, down the street you built a great client client base and you want to be able to do that that non-compete says no we do not want you to take our patients we do not want you to take our our patients with you because it's a revenue stream and so from that perspective what companies Companies, I call I use companies, but what practice groups and hospitals will do is to say you are limited for a period of time in terms of practicing in this particular area. Most states frown upon non-compete agreements. Now, and there are some instances where they are in fact valid, but they need to be very narrowly focused and very narrowly created. And so and that's part of the role that the lawyer plays in this is to make certain that that non-compete is valid. I've, I represented a client where there was a non-compete in which the client could not practice law in the state of Texas. It's like, and yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Not the ra- state of Texas. Medicine. We cannot practice medicine in the state yeah. of Texas. Outrageous, crazy. There's, there's, there's they, no they didn't sign the contract, did they? Them. Oh no, no. You do not didn't want to at attach all.
0: your name to that, right? <laughs> like, no, no.
1: <laughs> I wasn't. not about to Attach my name to that. But ultimately, but, what, but how is that legal? Did, it wasn't legal, you know. But they were more than happy that particular uh, that particular entity was more than happy to put that in the agreement with the hope that somebody would not take it to a lawyer to review. Now, wow. now let's assume, let's then assume then that, that that physician did not come to a lawyer at the front end and pay a couple of thousand dollars for that, for that legal fee on the front end. On the back end, to get that non-compete agreement would have been 10 times that amount. To get that non-compete agreement overturned in court would be 10 times that amount. So therefore that instance of pay me now or possibly pay me later or pay me much more later uh, becomes very, very relevant.
0: So what are some of the mistakes you see when docs kind of decide to do things by themselves? Like I'm talking about contract review and negotiation outside of, you know, obviously not coming to you, but what are the things that they see that you see that they make?
1: Uh, one big issue, non-competes. That that is a huge component to to uh, the negotiation process. Uh, understanding the termination provisions within the contract themselves. Uh, when can the doctor actually terminate the provision uh, unilaterally? Under what circumstances can that occur? Uh, so there's there's that. And, and it's also that some of the tax implications with regards to whether or not you're going to be an employee or you're going to be an independent mm. contractor. And so okay. some of those actually factor into the process. And then if you're going to do locums, for instance, then are you going to be locums as an employee? Employee, you're going to be locums as an independent contractor. Um, and that's, then- that's actually come up a lot. If you go to like Facebook forums,
0: there are a lot more doctors who are interested in being independent contractors. So I think they bring it up to a hospital. A hospital figures out quote unquote how to do it and a contract gets sent to them, but there's a lot of employment language that's in there, but they're considered to be an independent contractor. And the reason why we know this is like a lot of them will write this in the group. They're like, yeah, you know, I said that I wanted to be an independent contractor and they said, A, B, C, D. And I'm like, well, they can't tell you what your schedule is supposed to be. No, they can't, you know, all these different things that you have, that you're describing. These makes are you like- an
1: employee. Right. Yeah. Makes you an employee, which then creates even much more significant tax implications, mm-hmm. both for the physician, yeah, yeah, both for the physician as well as for the hospital. Because as an independent contractor, you're supposed to manage your own taxes. You're supposed to, you know, a 1099, et cetera. And so, from that perspective, that is that is a major component to that. So from the from the hospital perspective they really should make certain that you're truly an independent contractor and not an employee because then that opens them up to even greater liability because they're failing to pay the necessary taxes uh, withholding taxes on this on this doctor or or nurse or physician assistant so it becomes very important that as you look at that agreement make certain that the visions that indicate that you're an employee are stricken from that document. you really need to be an independent contractor where you make certain decisions on your own outside of that with outside of those required by the uh, by the facility.
0: So let's take a quick step back actually a big step back. So someone's listening and saying, hey, that's great, doc. I don't know any lawyers um, or I don't know how to find the right lawyer like, how does someone properly vet a lawyer? What kind of questions would you expect them to be asking you um, so that they can delineate properly this is the lawyer that should I should be going with versus this is the lawyer that I may need to pass by and find someone else Pasco. Yeah.
1: Like for instance your your cousin that that is a lawyer. Uh, <laughs> Don't and, have and any so family members. That, <laughs> yeah. Well first of all that's that you know that that could in fact be a major problem with regards to thanksgiving you know if, <laughs> if you are a lawyer <laughs> from your family and and they sort of jack up your contract in that regard is, so is it the same thing in law
0: idea. is it the same thing in law where cuz like in medicine we tend not to like treat like like uh primarily treat our family members is it the same thing in law where you tend not to Provide advice to your family members.
1: As lawyers, we almost always provide advice to the family members. And so, for instance, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, somebody picks up the phone and says, "Hey, guess what? You know, you're my cousin twice removed. Uh, I have this. (laughs) I have this deal. Can you look at it for me?" And you're the only lawyer in the family. As a black attorney, there are all too often members. There, we are limited in terms of the number of lawyers that might be within a particular family. and in all likelihood you're going to help them out you know so you know from that perspective it just it's tough to turn down a family member but resist the temptation to go with somebody who is a purely a criminal lawyer or a real estate lawyer or or somebody who does divorce work to do your contract because the contracts you know the the legal community community has become really very specialized uh in many, many respects. And so you really want to know, uh, what's your background in terms of employment law? What's your background in terms of negotiating contracts? What's your background in terms of, more specifically, doing work for the medical community? Because even that is unique. I've been working with Physicians and physician practices for over 20 years, and so from that perspective, you really want somebody who really understands the nuances of the of the healthcare facility, the healthcare practice, uh, and <clears throat> excuse me. And I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a physician. But I've worked with physicians in many, many instances uh, over the years. And so I I goofed that up and said, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a physician. I may play one on television, but I'm very (laughs) definitely a lawyer. So,
0: Have you had to fire, because you've worked with a lot over the last 20 years. Have you had to fire a client? Uh,
1: We have, uh, with regards to clients, (laughs) we have... We have seen a parting I've seen, I, I, I see you ways. going into your
0: Obama. <laughs> I've seen you going into your Obama uh, bag where you're trying to figure out a way yeah. to answer a question. I see it. I see yeah, it.
1: Yeah, yeah, we we have had a parting of the ways. I don't know if okay. I call it firing of a client, but we we've, we've you know we have uh, negotiated that uh, that we just <laughs> simply can't necessarily see eye to eye on, on matters going forward. So if I'm in the same league as as Obama, then I, I'm in good company then. <laughs> okay. Very good. So, and,
0: and usually when you see that, is that with maybe the physician is asking for too much or maybe asking for too little or um, which end of the spectrum do you think it usually ends where you're like, look, we can't agree. We're going to have to move on.
1: It's typically me in those instances where the physician has been accused of doing something inappropriate, mm, uh, and okay. that the physician um, either wants me to advance in a solution or a strategy that uh, that is ethically unsound and so from that perspective, it just becomes a matter of of uh, uh, do we go down that path? Uh, and and I've and I have, in a couple of instances, said, no, we just cannot collaborate together to go down a path that would either worsen the physician's position or put my law license in jeopardy,
0: really, so it's gotten that bad,
1: yeah, yeah, oh wow, wow, okay, all yeah, right well that's that's it, when we yeah, have hard a stop. parting of the ways at that point,
0: okay, all right. Let me take a moment to talk about our relationship and big you up. So I don't know if you remember, but my first contract 10 years ago uh, or about nine years ago, I got offered a certain amount. I ended up uh, hiring you and you actually got me an $80,000 swing. With my uh, contract, with my my salary, well, actually, with a combination of salary and student loan payback. Mm-hmm. so we were able to go up about fifty thousand dollars on my salary, and then you were able to help me get an additional thirty thousand dollars of student loan repayback. So ten per year. Um, and I was really grateful for that uh, because there were certain things like you said that were important outside of just the salary. Um, and I think nowadays, people are starting to really understand the concept of golden handcuffs. And oftentimes, those golden handcuffs, which can be a, uh, what do you call it? I'm, I'm sorry, which could be a, what's the word I want to use? It's a, um, uh, what is it? A uh, bonus. Yeah. These bonuses, yeah. they're actually loans, right? <laughs> Let's talk about that real quick. Is there any way that you can get a sign-on bonus without it being a loan?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And purely the, 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 the true sign-on bonus should be a, an actual bonus. Uh, but I've seen recently where uh, where practice groups or hospitals are tying it to just that, that they, they equate it as a loan and that if you, you, you fail to get to a certain point or uh, either within the terms of the contract or you fail to uh, to produce uh, in terms of the number of hours, uh, the number of patients seen, et cetera. They can. Oh, I haven't seen that can, one. That's yeah, they bad. Can, they That's can scary. take that money. They can actually take that money back uh, in that regard. Those kinds of agreements, you know, it, quite frankly, those kinds of practice groups and practice areas, I tell clients just to stay away from, you know, because mm-hmm. because that to me is a sham. Uh, in that regard, and so from that perspective, it becomes very important that a signing bonus is just that a signing bonus. Now, the other component that that where bonuses become really important uh, is where uh, it's called either an incentive bonus. Uh, and and I call those the invisible bonus structure, you know, because it looks good. It looks like, oh wow! At the end of the year, if I do X, Y, and Z, and I meet these these parameters, yeah, I will I take, I take home an additional one hundred thousand dollars.
0: Yeah, I've heard but this. But the
1: problem is, but the problem with that is nobody gets it because the 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 threshold limit is so incredibly high that unless you're going to work. Literally, you know fifteen hours a day, almost six or seven uh, days a week, uh, you're just simply not going to be able to generate that kind of 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 service for that particular entity to get the bonus. So it becomes I've, very I've, early. I've,
0: ahead, I've also seen it where you're absolutely right, but I've also seen it where there's not a checks and balances to even make sure that you are hitting those numbers. Like there's no way, to, there's nothing in the contract that says, well, every three months or every six months, we will check the RVUs to do this, or we will have a coder, or an independent coder come in and look at X, Y, and Z to show that you are reaching these numbers. So it becomes, like you said, this imaginary bonus, right? If you hit this certain production line, but nobody's checking for it anyway.
1: Yeah. yeah. And particularly the, the RVU uh, structure can be very problematic if nobody is giving you any sense as to are you on target? And then what do you need to be on target in order to get the bonus uh, at the end of the year? And so, or, and, and there are some instances where bonuses are paid every quarter. Uh, But what happens in doing a quarter if you miss the bonus? I've seen one contract where they will retroactively take money from you. uh, Yeah, yeah, again, where they will take money from you because you fail to maintain that same level. Uh, And so from that perspective, there are just some agreements that are just, uh, just in and of themselves just untenable. Uh, and that physicians need to be fully aware of when they are, you know, that sometimes that going back to that devil in the details, they need to be fully, fully aware that, uh, that just because it looks good on his face, that may not necessarily be what you ultimately receive at the end of the year. So just well, have what to be a, very, very cautious.
0: What about the standard contracts? And I've been seeing that a lot with the larger hospital conglomerates where they'll say, this is the standard contract that we give either for your specialty, or this is just the standard contract that we give for physicians. And because of that, there's no room for negotiations. I have I heard that 10 years ago. And I know that more so now, definitely in the Northeast, and I think definitely in the West Coast, you see a lot of hospitals that are merging together. So the wiggle room, or what appears to be the ability to get maybe one hospital in one region to compete with another hospital, maybe in a, in a close region, that's not there anymore. So what do you do in those situations? Do you have room? Is like, when they say it's a standard contract, do I just trust them and say, okay, well, let me just sign it down the line and and move on.
1: No, I I go back to that position, me that everything is negotiable. So you need to begin, you need to begin that process with understanding that one, everything is negotiable. And that one, if you fully understand your value, do your homework as well. And so from it. what I mean by doing your homework, find out what other physicians are earning within that particular market and make certain that that is a market, one that you really want to be in. Because again, if, if you are tied to a particular region of the country, if you're tied to a particular city or you're tied to a particular locale, your bargaining position is significantly impacted in that regard. But if you have the ability to be able to say, I'm going to do something different, or if you have the ability to say, well, I'm going to wait and do locums, I'm going to do That's other what I did. kind yeah. of contract work instead, then you're not held to... This is our contract and it becomes a take it or leave it. Uh, I take the position and I encourage clients to take the position that th- you are a very valuable commodity, uh, and that they really want you much more than, than they are re- ready, willing and able to admit. But just be prepared to, to make some tough and hard decisions that will, that will ultimately serve you very, very well.
0: I'm going to take my knife and fork and I'm out. I'm walking away (laughs)
1: sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes you have to do that.
0: Okay. Here's another question that I have. What about the person who comes to you and says, hey, I signed this contract and I know that what I signed, there's some language in there that I think um, I want taken out. Right? Is it always true that once you sign it, that's it? Like everything is legally binding? Because I know you you mentioned very briefly, like there's an opportunity, for example, to fight restrictive covenants. But I don't know if you remember the contract that I that uh, for the first place that we signed with as an employee. Do you remember or an empl- uh, the employee contract that we had? Do you remember where it said if I as a clinician work, or is, if if Darko works in any other capacity outside of this hospital? And earns any type of income as a physician or using his clinical knowledge, that that income belongs to that hospital. Do you remember that? Yeah, and we I got that. that.
1: <laughs> and we got that taken out, right? But <clears throat> if someone re- signs that, go ahead, go ahead, please. Yeah. The reason why we were successful uh, in that particular instance is because it's illegal. You know, okay. and, and I right, take, I take the approach that you know that some of the provisions almost put you put the physician in a position of servitude as opposed to an employee or an independent contractor and i use that term servitude uh but i could very easily use that term of you know slavery ended a long time ago you know and so from that point of view it is no you you know there are certain instances where it is just on its face illegal and you bring that to the uh to the hospital or the practice Group's attention, and they don't want that kind of a fight. They don't want to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars hiring lawyers uh, in order to defend something that, on its face, is actually illegal. And so, from that perspective, again, keep in mind this contract was created with the uh, for the benefit of the practice group or the benefit of the hospital. That's why it was created. Uh, And so, all the more reason why physicians and people in the medical community must have someone on the front end to look at those agreements because they're not created for their benefit. They're created for the employer's benefit.
0: And that's a big deal nowadays because there's so many docs who are going on social media, who are going into entrepreneurial aspects, who may also be going on TV and talking about things from a clinical standpoint. And they may be getting income from all of these other sources and if you're not willing to fight or if you're not willing to know, if you don't have the wherewithal to get someone to review this and say, you need to get this taken out of the contract, yeah. you know they may be willing to forfeit all that money. I know of one of, yeah. one of the residents that I worked with, I won't say what level they are, but I know one of the residents that happened to him, he was uh, at a hospital, he was working, he was employed. And during the time off, he would go and do locums and he was doing well. And somehow his home hospital found out. And I don't know if he decided not to fight it. I don't know if he just said, I just want to make it go away. But he told me he forfeited like a significant amount of some six figure amount. And I'm like, wait, what? You should have talked yeah. to someone about this. Yeah. And um, I just that brings me back to what I saw in my conscience. And I'm like, actually, this is a lot more common than I thought it was. Actually, I thought I was just like, this had to be some type of remnant or some type of thing that just was unique to me.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm glad that there is the, the social media component that enables, you know, you know, clients, physicians and others to begin to talk to each other about what is actually going on within a particular practice, within a particular state, uh, because, because it, you know, stuff that happens to you and other physicians, that's unfortunately, that's not always unique. In and of itself, and so from that perspective, that kind of that old adage that you know you need to have a family physician or someone that you can you can actually you know talk to. You also need that that. Family attorney as well. That person <laughs> yeah. that you can pick up the phone yeah. and call. Uh, and and ne- you've called me, and we've talked on Sundays, we talked on Saturdays, uh, and and so I've always taken the position that with a client, James,
0: this hospital's acting crazy. They're acting <laughs> crazy, James. Yo, how do I get my blood pressure down?
1: <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, hey, I'm there. You know, I want to be there and want to be in a position to say. Let's chill out. We can handle this. We got this. And so and we work through it in that regard. So you need to be able to have the, your attorney on speed dial. Who, wh- whoever that attorney is, have them on speed dial and be able to reach out to them. And if that okay. attorney isn't that available, you need to find another attorney.
0: All right. Let me, let's do this real quick. Over the last 20 years, student loans have skyrocketed like crazy. In terms of priority, if you were to give people advice, student loan repayback? or try to get as much um, uh, salary that you can get? Which one is a priority for you and when you advise your clients?
1: Ooh, well, you know, that me, that goes back to what is the priority for the client? You know, yeah. and okay. so from that perspective, it just we, because I'm the mouthpiece for the client. You know, I'm the person that's going to do, what is, what is your sweet spot? Going back to that same, you know, position that we took even with you years ago. What is your sweet spot and where do you want to end? And, and if it's important to get, I had a client over the last, you know, five years or so. It was important for him, uh, for that client, to have his student loans paid off. That was important. And so, from that perspective, we negotiated a deal to where uh, uh, had an incredible salary, but that the hospital was genuinely interested in keeping this particular physician. They paid off his student loans. So, you know, from that perspective, it becomes what is, and that paying off that student debt was very, very important to that particular, um, physician.
0: Mm, Very important.
1: All right.
0: Well, look, we are at the end of this discussion. This was great. This is dope. Audience, I hope you guys got a lot. This was literally a masterclass into contract negotiations and, um, understanding what your interests are in comparison to what the hospital or maybe your private practice interests are. Um, so James, how do people get in contact with you? How do they ask questions if they want to take things further past this uh, this podcast episode?
1: I tell you what, just shoot me an email, uh, jdockery at doc, D-O-C, lawgroup.com, uh, initial J, D-O-C-K-E-R-Y at doc, D-O-C, lawgroup.com.
0: Okay. <laughs> Guys, we are going to have this in the show notes. But remember, listen, this show is all about empowerment. And that's what this episode is about, is teaching you how um, to not necessarily be paralyzed by the legalese or even just you know walking into a situation that you may not understand and maybe signing a contract blindly. Uh, we're giving you the options. We're giving you the power to really take the next step and have the life as well as the career that you want. So James Dockery, thank you so much for jumping on Docs Outside the Box. Once again, everybody, we're going to have his content Contact information in the show notes. He is the truth. Um, Please take this podcast episode to heart and share this with other people who may be getting towards the end of their residency or maybe going into a contract negotiation and may need some help. Um, So, James, thanks again for your help on this show.
1: Appreciate you, my brother. We'll take it from there. Yeah, this is dope. All right, take care. Later.
0: Hey guys, thanks again for listening as well as supporting Docs Outside the Box. Listen, this show is produced by Darko Media Group and the dope audio experience is edited by the one, the only, Christian Parry, also known as your podcast pal. Links to him in the show notes. Listen, this is Dr. Nee, The Doc Outside the Box. I'll catch you on the next one. Peace.